Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Kaohsiung, 1814. During Taiwan's centuries under the rule of Imperial China, people left their mark on the world in a number of ways. Over these two odd centuries, pirates and rebels stirred up enough trouble to have their names recorded in the history books, while wealthy merchants have left their names behind in the mansions and gardens they've given to us. But for most people during these centuries, the respectable way to get ahead and leave a legacy was through a series of tests. Imperial China's notoriously competitive civil service exams. For all who took part, the goal was to join the ranks of the empire's official elite. Though Taiwan was out on the edge of the empire and only produced a handful of scholars that made it to the top, there was no shortage of people looking to get the education they'd need to try at least the local or provincial tests. For people looking to prepare for these exams, local academies were the place to go. These schools taught the Confucian classics, the core texts that exam-takers would need to learn to quote from and interpret just to stand a chance. The schools also instructed students in the strict forms of writing that they would be judged on. One of these schools, the Fengyi Academy, was founded in what's now the city of Kaohsiung, and it has stood there for 200 years. It's now a historic site under the stewardship of the Kaohsiung city government. To learn more about this academy and how the exam system worked, we're talking today with Huang Youlu from the local Bureau of Cultural Affairs. What were students taught and how? What could they hope to gain from success in this grueling contest? And what became of academies like this one when the entire system was abolished? These are some of the questions we'll be tackling today. The Fengyi Academy was founded in 1814. This was one of two academies in the area. It was built to replace an older academy that had been destroyed in a rebellion many years before. The local gentry all pitched in with donations. The academy is a traditional one-story compound with slanted red-tiled roofs, sweeping swallowtail eaves, and open courtyards in between the different wings. Where did the students come from? Were there any requirements for admission? Mr. Huang says that two kinds of students came here. The first kind had successfully completed the local exams and were looking to perfect their skills so they could move up to the next rung on the ladder, the provincial exam. Many of these students might have dreamed of making it all the way to the top to the brutal, empire-wide exams held at the imperial capital. The other kind of student was an ordinary person looking to get started with local tests. They'd have had some rudimentary education, and they would also have to have come from reasonably well-off families, because preparing for these exams was a full-time endeavor. It wasn't a system that guaranteed success either, as many unsuccessful candidates found out after decades of preparation. But Mr. Huang says that students here did have access to a kind of scholarship, so it didn't take huge wealth to have a shot at studying here. Instructors here would give lectures on the core curriculum, the ancient four classics and five books of Confucianism, 
They'd also teach students how to interpret these texts in the approved Orthodox way. There would be plenty of memorization. But there was a lot of writing to do as well. In addition to memorizing, students would also have to practice imitating the writing style of successful scholars. The format of the exams changed many times over the centuries they were held, but Mr. Huang says that at this late date, towards the end of their history, the format had settled down like this. There were essays on the main classics, poetry questions, and policy questions. It wasn't enough just to answer the questions, though. The rules of style were rigid. Essays on the classics had to follow the notorious eight-legged essay format. The rules were standardized, giving a neat rubric for grading exam sheets. But the rules were also arbitrary, and they were absolute. A stray character or poor turn of phrase was enough to ruin everything. The so-called eight legs, intro, receiving the topic, opening discussion, legs one, two, three, and four, and the conclusion, all had to be mastered along with the conventional style. Famous answers were collected and printed. Two well-known answers that students from this time might have studied were on the following topics: When the people have enough, how can only the ruler have too little? And the topic: The people are the most valuable. Obviously, there was a lot to cover, and monthly practice tests at the academy whipped students into shape. The memorization, the endless copying, and the academy rules probably made this whole process very unpleasant, even for gifted students. And the exams themselves were torture, but elite status, prestige, and power were yours if you came out at the very top. Mr. Huang says that even those who passed only lower levels of the exams still gained certain privileges. He said these included not having to kneel down when coming across officials. With privilege and honor growing with rank, it's no wonder that people prayed for good luck on these exams. There were multiple gods associated with learning and credited with giving their worshippers better marks. Academies like Fengyi were bound to have a shrine to these gods, and sure enough, Fengyi does. Inside, Mr. Huang says, are Wen Chang Di Jun, the god of learning. Also worshipped were Zhu Xi, a famous scholar from even further back in history, as well as Kui Xing, god of exams. It wasn't all strictly book learning, though. If you weren't academically gifted, there were still other ways of getting official jobs. Mr. Huang says that the Fengyi Academy hosted both the local written exams and another kind of exam, one that tested physical skills. This was the military exam. Applicants were tested on lifting heavy stones. There was archery, both stationary and mounted, as well as sword fighting. You couldn't get away completely from books, though. The exam also tested knowledge of ancient military manuals to show that applicants could strategize too. The two academies in the Gaoxiong area did produce some decent scholars. However, Mr. Huang says that unlike the area's other school, students from the Fengyi Academy only seem to have reached the provincial level of exams. But even if some of Fengyi's students had made it to the top, there wouldn't have been many. 
Very few Taiwanese challengers passed the top-level exams at the imperial capital. Taiwanese exam takers would never get a chance to improve. By then, academies like Fengyi were in their last years of operation. The entire exam system would soon disappear into history for good. In mainland China, the exam system was abolished in favor of Western-style schooling in 1905. But in Taiwan, the end came a decade earlier. In 1895, Japan took Taiwan as a colony, and the Japanese authorities did away with these exams, replacing them with Western-style schools of their own. For years, the Fengyi Academy served other purposes. It was used as a Japanese army hospital, and later on it was used as housing. But its fine architecture and historic importance made this too sad of a fate for people to accept forever. In 1985, the old academy was declared a historic site, and Kaohsiung City's culture department has since taken over the management rights. After a few years of relocating residents and tearing down new structures, the buildings are back to their 19th century best. The old academy is now open to visitors, a place where local people can learn about the dreams of social climbing their ancestors cherished 200 years ago. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. <laughs>